0: This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19.
1: The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. And a very special back to you, not that they're not all special, Steve, but we have comedian Tom Dreesen on. And man, does he know some people.
0: Plus, he's given me some inspiration on how to get my act together.
1: Yeah, and that's a lot of work. Anyway, (laughs) Tom Driesen, he's got a new book. He's all over a Showtime series called The Comedy Store. On the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. You can find Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. I know I'm going to listen. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast and Opie show on the Radio Misfits podcast network. This is the Car Guys Reports Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and this is another exciting episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And uh, Lou, uh, last time we got together on the um, program, uh, you were uh, complaining that your air conditioning in your, um, is it your Explorer, wasn't functioning correctly? Yeah, it's
0: still not functioning correctly. Oh, well, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, we put the um, the canister. I don't think it's now called Freon; it's something else. Refrigerant.
1: It, they just called. Yeah,
0: right. And that worked for a little while, but it does appear that it's a compressor issue. Huh. So, uh, so, so, so I went from the twenty-five dollar fix <laughs> to probably the thousand dollar fix. Yeah. So.
1: And now, uh, does it look like it's leaking out, or or it's no? Just,
0: no, it's not. It's not leaking. So here's what I'd like you to do: put the car. What's the Car Guys report email? Again? It's a
1: Car guys Report at hotmail.com.
0: Send your checks to Lou <laughs>
1: <laughs> that,
0: to help out to keep the show the, running. The AC
1: keep keep fund. The cars
0: running yeah, the <laughs> AC fund, you know. Uh, you know, lose lose life matters. So uh,
1: I could see though that we're getting towards uh, at least as we're recording this now, when this airs, summer will be long gone. But um, you could probably ride out the rest of the season, maybe, and then deal yeah. with it next no, year.
0: I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, I, I do have a couple of other cars that are available, so I, so I'm going to do that. And uh, um, just a quick snapshot for the for the listeners. My my editor on the YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou, is my. 15 and a half year old who has his driver's permit now, so uh, you know I'm bracing for uh, insurance premiums of a uh, uh, an early driver.
1: And that's why you oh, need the checks too, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. People are going, "Oh my god!" And we're still
1: anxiously awaiting that 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 uh, hilarious YouTube video of you teaching your son how to drive stick on your Viper.
0: Well, yeah, that maybe that maybe slowed down because two things. Number one is. Uh, uh, there was a little, I'm glad you're talking about that. There was a little bit of a leak. Um, there's three levels of communication, telegraph, telephone, and tell my son Joey. <laughs> and uh, he apparently, uh, uh, or maybe it was me, I, it's been a little bit now, but I did have him drive the car. Uh, so, uh, But he was completely against being on camera. I'm all in for me editing, but yeah. no, don't put me on camera. I don't want to be embarrassed, you know, because I'm a teenager and God forbid you put him on YouTube and. Maybe we have a little fun with that. So, uh, How many times did
1: he stall it out?
0: You know, he didn't stall it out at all. Really? On the, on the straight. But the, the,
1: what's that the, smell? The, it smells like uh, brake no, lining. No, that's the yeah, clutch.
0: That, <laughs> yeah, no, there was no, that wasn't the issue. I, I then challenged him with the obvious, okay, it's easy to go downhill with a clutch. It's easier to be in a car Oh, yeah. Now let's do the uphill and see how this works. And after that stalled about five times in a row, he's like, "I'm done with this." So, um,
1: I mean, uh, I still get nervous when I'm on an incline, depending on which jackass is behind me in traffic. You know, if he's on my tail or not, when I'm driving one of my stick shift cars too, because even after all these years, you just never know (laughs) what's going to happen. Sometimes, well,
0: well, your challenge as well is you've got several different cars, and each clutch point, I'm sure, is is a little different. Yeah, yeah, so. So you have to, yeah, I agree with you 100%, you've got to get used to that clutch blade, or Basically, you're doing a burnout
1: uphill. Exactly, yeah, revving it up. And, and you know, you touched on an interesting Jumping point, too. We were talking about your air conditioning, and you said, well, at least I have a few other cars that I can fall back on. And that's the beauty of being a car guy. You always have an extra car. So if you take your car to the dealer or in for repair, it doesn't matter if you get it back the next day, because you got another car to drive, and that's the beauty of it, right?
0: Right, yeah. That's, that's how you That's how
1: we roll. Uh, As far as any um, issues with my vehicles, everything is uh, very good right now. I finally uh, got around to doing the uh, yearly oil change on my 911, and I really do have to hand it to Porsche, at least. I have a 2011, so I I don't know what the newer ones are like. But, you know, my big bane in in oil changes these days, and the, the main reason I don't do them myself although I, I slogged through it last year just to to, to see what it was like, you know, on, a, on my cars, is the prevalence of all these underbody splash shields. And uh, they're for aerodynamics, they're for cooling, they're for all kinds of things. But they're just a pain in the butt because there's always like five or six or eight screws that you got to take out and you're maneuvering this giant piece of semi-flexible plastic that's two feet by three feet and it never wants to slide in correctly. And it's just a bitch. To, to work on. And luckily, the, the 911 has none of that. It's rear engine, so there's, you know, for whatever reason, they don't put any kind of splash shield underneath the, that car in the rear. So it's I always say it's the world's easiest oil change because you just, you can crawl underneath it and get the drain plug out, no problem. And then on in the engine compartment, all there is is the oil filter is right there. So as long as you have the right tools, the oil filter is Totally, uh, you don't drip a drop of oil, changing the oil filter, and then the oil fill, actually, uh, the uh, nozzle or the filler or whatever you want to call it, the tube, uh, will actually extend about a foot and a half, not a foot and a half, maybe about a foot in three sections to bring the fill point farther out so you can fill it up easier, and it's that's it. It's just so easy to do, so, you know, I figure I save about... 300 bucks doing it myself because if you take it to the dealer they're going to charge you at least 10 bucks a quart for oil at least and it takes nearly eight quarts they're going to charge you 30 30 bucks minimum for the filter and they're going to charge you an hour's worth of labor at minimum of like 200 dollars an hour and i can do it i can buy the filter for 15 bucks and i can buy my oil uh 10 quarts for about 50 bucks Uh, the correct oil and that's it so I'm saving big money so at least I'm still doing it on the Porsche but my other cars the Mercedes and the Fiat and stuff uh, the Fiat I have oil changes through the dealer right now because it's a new car but the Mercedes you have to take off like two huge splash seals. I did that last year. It's just a pain in the butt. Although the oil filter on the Mercedes is very easily accessible, too. So I will, I will give them uh, props for that. But So I got that taken care of. And uh, also, you know, the weather has been very um, cooperative uh, for the past uh, few weeks and been seeing a lot of neat stuff on the road. Uh, a lot of just uh, typical resto mod stuff, 65 Chevy pickup truck as a resto mod. A 70 Red Nova, always a classic. A dark silver with black stripes, 70 Chevelle. And then two early F-body Camaros, uh, 1970. One was uh, gray with black stripes. I don't know if it was a Z28 or not. I couldn't tell. And a brown, this might sound weird, brown metallic, 70 uh camaro with Kreger's and a black vinyl top but it actually looked really cool because that's kind of that um i don't know what they called it but it's kind of almost like a tobacco i would call it kind of a tobacco bronzy darker brown it's not a it's not a crappy looking brown <laughs> no pun intended um and it just it, it's a good color for that car and then uh, I was happened to be in my Impala taking that for a spin, and there was a guy in a red uh, Corvette C6 that was uh, checking out my Impala. So <laughs> some of the cars that uh, I have seen on the road as of late. And I just thought of something, Lou. I know that you have a, a residence that you uh, frequent from time to time in uh, the Southwest in Arizona. Do you tend to see any kind of different— cars when you're just driving around like you know I I just went through a whole litany of of resto mods and and 70s vehicles because of the climate obviously you might see more convertibles but is there any really change in like the demographics of the cars that itself that you might see just driving around on the road you know talking about the kind of stuff that we like to talk about spotted wise
0: Yeah a- absolutely um first first of all uh everybody has a Porsche in uh the Phoenix Scottsdale that Really is- yeah, wow. you see those. You see those like you're looking at a Honda Accord. Huh. I mean, just tons of them running around up in the Scottsdale area. Okay, and so I have a, a, um, a saying with my son: "What will be the Ferrari that we see today?" <laughs> so,
1: so those are popular I, too, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I did see a yellow Ferrari actually today on the highway, but um, that's in Illinois. At least, probably, maybe if you're up on the North Shore, you'd see them a little more often. You know, maybe on a weekend. Yeah, but there it's literally, you know, every day you're going to see one. It's just which one.
1: Huh. Kind of like so, Naples, Florida, right? I think they have the highest concentration of Ferraris and ownership, or something, in the U.S. I think I read that somewhere once, but it wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it, but. So
0: yeah. Now now that, that could that could be a little bit we, we could expand it to you're gonna see a Lamborghini, um, you see quite a few Bentleys. Hmm. Um let me think what else. Uh just it jumps off at my
1: Just any kind uh, of high end, I mean probably like a lot of AMGs, a lot of BMW, uh, high, lot in, of BMWs, high end. A lot of BMWs, a lot of Mercedes, yeah. yeah,
0: BMWs, Mercedes, stuff like that. Uh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see a a lot of those. So um, just the, 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 yeah, more of the high-end stuff. I mean, here in the Midwest, I mean, we're, we're known for rolling up our sleeves and going to work and, you know, driving a muscle car. We want to show off our muscles, and there it's, you know, we want to show off our, uh, our exotic toy.
1: And the funny thing, too, is when you, when you live in an area like you were talking about in near Scottsdale, and you're seeing a lot of these cars on a regular basis, you actually, even as a car guy, you, you tend to get numb to it. And it really takes something to impress you, then, right?
0: No, no, I'm pretty much impressed. really, right. yeah, yeah.
1: Because to me, it's like you know, I, I I love Porsches and I love all the cars that you talked about, but if I see so many of them, it just it's all, it, To me, it just like oh, there's another Porsche or another Ferrari, and I'm not necessarily getting going gaga over it. So
0: well, I, I guess to your point, I I've, I I've, uh, I like Porsches, um, but to your point out there, I will say. Not everyone will turn your head. I mean, a lot of times, and let me be specific. I think if it's a nine eleven, it's going to turn your head. I think if it's something that's a four door Porsche or a Porsche SUV, I don't get as excited about it. So, mm-hmm. I think it, I think it depends what it is, uh, you know, to, to kind of catch uh, uh, to kind of catch my attention.
1: Mm-hmm. It's 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 interesting though because it's kind of like when you go to a car show and you just see. To me, before I had you know my modern muscle car. I would um, see uh, you know Mustang modern you know current Mustangs and current Camaros and current uh, Challengers and Chargers and I would say uh oh there's just another freaking you know Mustang or just another freaking Camaro and and stuff now that I got one it's like okay I guess I've joined the club but I kind of got kind of get numb to that and then I want to see other stuff but um, I mean I still take appreciation seeing anything fun and exciting and, and semi exotic like that on the road but uh, maybe it m- makes takes a little bit more to, to get me a little more excited than 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 Lou and your googly eyed uh, adolescent uh, dreams driving in front of you <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah I, that's me
1: <laughs> that's you that definitely I, it is.
0: I, I, I think you described me perfectly
1: be sure to tell a friend about the car guys report we're available on Spotify we're also coming soon to Amazon Audible so be looking out for that shortly you can go to opishows.com for more details and you can email us at any time uh, at carguysreport at hotmail.com that's our email address uh, send us a note uh, tell us what you like what you don't like kudos compliments complaints anything you want Car Guys. Report at hotmail.com and I'll pass any uh, money requests on to uh, Lou. I'm sure he'll be excited about that. We were just talking about touched on Mercedes a little bit Lou and this uh, was announced recently. And it's kind of a neat idea. I think they're just trying to uh, differentiate themselves even further from all the uh, competition. Obviously, we know that... Uh, I, I, th- I believe Porsche may may do this as well. I'm not sure. I think you have to really pay up for it. But I know like companies like Bentley and um, Rolls-Royce will uh, paint your Rolls or your Bentley any color you want as long as you pay up on it. But uh, Mercedes has recently uh, introduced a uh, color customization program, and what theirs is is basically any color you want, including uh, competitors' colors as well. The uh, Designo or Desino, it can be pronounced either way. It's spelled D-E-S-I-G-N-O. I I always pronounce it Designo, but I've heard the Mercedes people call it Designo a uh, manufacturer customization program has been around for a while and I should know because on my E-Class coupe that I have I have both designo paint and uh, designo interior but those were strictly the selections that Mercedes offered under the designo umbrella at the time so what they're doing is they're basically expanding the designo program for the E-Class the S-Class and the AMG GT and what this lets you do it's pretty cool they let you choose from you know, their standard uh, design design designo paint colors, as well as uh, discontinued paint colors, colors from the company's past, stretching all the way back to the 50s. And this is cool. Paint's currently available on different Mercedes-Benz models and also even lets buyers pick colors from other manufacturers. So that's always a, a cool thing because how many times have you heard someone say, well, I really wanted the gray, but I really like, you know, bmw's gray instead of what mercedes has so now pretty much you can say give me this color and they'll do it um obviously they haven't uh, released any uh firm pricing on this uh further customization program but uh, when i did it on my car this is in 20 uh, i ordered my car in 2012 uh, standard colors in the this was on the E class. Standard colors, meaning non-metallic, were basically you know whatever standard color you want doesn't cost any extra. If you wanted it, just a, another a metallic color in their palette, I think it was like seven or eight hundred dollars more. And then if you wanted to go to, to to the Desino, Desino, Designo colors, it was a uh, $1,500 upcharge. But I looked at it from the standpoint that I wanted metallic anyway. So, in a way, I was only paying $700 more to get Desino and the color that I wanted, which was uh, graphite gray metallic. And then my upcharge on the interior, I wanted specific uh, red and black interior. Uh, with the leather trim instead of wood trim. The leather trim was an upcharge of like 850 and then the the designo rest of the designo interior was about a 40 I think it was like $4,200 or something like that. But it just made my car totally exclusive, and it has the little Desino, uh, name nameplates in the backs uh, of the seat backs, on the backs of the seat backs. So um, would it increase my you know collectability or or anything like that down the line only if someone want, likes the color combination that i choose but chose but it is a classic red and black with a gray body so i can't go wrong with that or i'm glad to see that mercedes is doing this because i just think it it really um will help expand their market even a little bit further on these models i'm looking forward to maybe seeing uh, you know in a year or two somebody painting their car their Mercedes, uh, you know, really nifty color that uh, you wouldn't get uh, standard uh, with the Mercedes color palette. And if I had that choice back then, depending on how much it would have cost, if I could have painted my car any color, it probably still would have been some sort of metallic gray, so I probably wouldn't have... Picked something different, but um, there are some really neat shades of gray out now from other manufacturers. I know Porsche and Audi have two shades of gray that are really cool, and then Dodge had Destroyer Gray for the Challenger, which is a really nice uh, gray color too. And I could almost see going with that if I was looking at my my car now. So that's what I called Colorama from uh, Mercedes-Benz. Let's
0: uh, let's. let's uh Wrapping up the thought there. Yeah. The brilliant the brilliance of that is if you love the color of your car, let's just say it's a new Corvette and you want your wife's car to match. Sure. Then that's 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 brilliant right there. And
1: that's a good way to get her to buy into something that <laughs> you're looking at. You could say like, honey, I'll buy the Corvette and and as long as you let me do that, then we'll paint your car the same color or whatever color you want. <laughs> as long as it's the Mercedes. Yeah. And who would complain yeah. about that, right?
0: Exactly.
1: Who would complain about a brand-new Mercedes-Benz? Not me, I'll tell you. We're at the uh, point in the program where we like to talk about cars that were a car that was recently uh, sold or uh, for sale online via either uh, outright sale, classified ad, or an auction. And, of course, uh, we talk about Bring a Trailer a lot of times, and this is a car that was recently uh, sold on Bring a Trailer. Uh, I kind of thought of Lou, Lou, I thought of you when I when I found this one to talk about here on the uh, on the Car Guys Report. It's a 1972 Dodge Dart Swinger, and I know that, that you are kind of the swinging kind of dude. And it's basically the nice classic kind of three box uh, Dodge Dart from the uh, from the early 70s, two door uh, hardtop uh, coupe. Uh, this one had a a black vinyl top, which is cool. Sometimes those vinyl tops work on these cars. Like I I mentioned, I saw that uh, Camaro with the vinyl top, and this one has a vinyl top too. It's dark gold in color. The black the vinyl top is black. Uh, it has the only has the uh, great old slant six engine in it, so it's got the uh, two hundred twenty five cubic inch slant six with a three speed automatic. So it's not going to be lighting up any. Um, Drag strips anytime soon, but it had only thirty-seven thousand miles. Of course, true mileage unknown, but they do that on every car uh, to cover their butt. Uh, so, if it had only thirty-seven thousand original miles, it would be nice. Uh, I I wrote down that it was well bought, and I thought it presented well um, as it looked. It sold for a ninety-three hundred bucks, so I think that was a, a pretty fair deal because you don't see too many of those, especially in the lower um, engine. I mean, a lot of them you'll see. I don't know what the the whole bevy of different engine sizes they would have put into this thing but sometimes it's nice to see one that's that's just got a six cylinder in it but it's still a neat looking car it's got kind of rally type wheels lettered tires and the gold with the black vinyl top I think is a is a great combination so I thought that one was um, was pretty well bought at ninety three hundred bucks so and you know we we talk about this all the time on the program if you like uh you know, Obviously, you like cars because you're listening to our program, but if you want to get an idea of where particular cars are, maybe uh, you're starting to uh, do a search for considering uh, acquiring a certain car, a collector car, or a special interest vehicle, and you want to see where the market is heading or where it is right now, Bring a Trailer is a great place to start because um, a lot of times... You know, they sell tons of cars, but then they will also list cars that did not sell, and they'll just say the reserve was not met, but then you can see what the car was bid up to. And to me, that's a very accurate way of kind of saying, well, the market has spoken, and they only think that that particular car is only worth that much. So it's a good way, a good starting point, a good jumping-off point. And they have, you know, a couple hundred uh, auctions live at any given time and a great variety of vehicles, too. And I know Hemmings has now started uh, an auction site as well within their... Um, Hemmings.com uh, website and their their auctions are, are are nice, very similar to the format of bring a trailer, a lot of pictures, a lot of documentation, things like that. So definitely, those are pretty much the two go to places that I use when I'm uh, looking in the in the uh, collector car market. Bring a trailer and and Hemmings.com, and of course, there's all kinds of consignment places as well to look. So just some things to keep in mind when you're. Um, Sitting there surfing the web, and you got a little bit of a jingle in your jeans, so to speak, and you're thinking, hmm, maybe it's time for me to buy a classic car. And it's a great place to uh, start. If you like the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and we certainly hope that you do because you're listening to it right now, be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the Radio Misfits podcast network, like the Show Free Kicks. It's an Opie show. Rick Kempfer and Adam Howarth discuss all the latest in the world of soccer. Two guys that are totally into soccer. Rick's a kind of a, a, a man of many talents, and uh, soccer is one of his uh, main interests. You can check it out. It's an OPI show. It's called Free Kicks. It's available on Spotify, opieshows.com, or wherever you find podcasts, just search. For radio misfits and that's where you'll find our podcast the car guys report informed automotive mark vernon along with uh, lou costable and i'm always fascinated lou because i i tend to call myself a historian I, I i read a lot of uh uh history books a lot of biographical uh history and mainly u.s history but some world history as well and i just really enjoy it and I came across this uh, article in the uh, summer edition of Route 66 magazine, and it was an article about the Curtis Aero car. Now, I had never heard about this thing before, and what, what fascinates me about it, of course, you, are you familiar with, with Glenn Curtis, the pioneer aviator? You're, I'm sure you know his name. Um, I'm not familiar
0: with his name. I is this the uh, the Curtis that was
1: part of the Indy cars things like that? Uh, I don't think so, but uh, Glenn Curtis, Glenn H. Curtis, he was a... Uh, actually, yeah, actually he was, because here, it says here, uh, numerous fields ranging from motorcycles, he became known as the fastest man in the world on a motorcycle, setting a 136.36 mile an hour speed record in 1907. So he was pretty early on once the indie, well, Indy started way back when, too, right? Back in the the teens or the aughts or whatever. Do you know what year it started? Let me take a look. You I know it's been a while. That. Uh, a while back. But anyway, he was a, a pioneer aviator as well. He, he built a lot of uh, aircraft and things like that. And and one of the things that he built started in 1928 was called the Aero Car. And it started in his uh, factory based in Opa Loca, Florida. And what it basically looks like is a horse trailer that was kind of outfitted to be kind of a an early RV of sorts uh, think of it as kind of an old-fashioned fifth wheel trailer because it's got that fifth wheel uh, where, where the uh, trailer would attach to the tow vehicle and in this uh, particular instance this is one of the things that made this thing really interesting is the fact that they were actually outfitting just common sedans by basically taking the trunk out putting a fifth wheel receptacle in the trunk area and then hooking the Curtis Aerocar trailer to the to the tow car that way so you have a, a sedan car that's towing what kind of looks like a luxurious horse trailer <laughs> behind it and it was just something that uh, basically the motoring public had uh, never seen before. It was a luxury trailer. It was designed like that from from the beginning. It had an aero-designed body with masonite panels attached to oak struts that, through the use of steel wires and turnbuckles when properly adjusted, resulted in an inflexible structure. And the outside of the vehicle was covered with a nitrite-coated fabric called silotech So basically, it was using a lot of the early aviation um, techniques of lightweight and fabrics and things like that to have a strong but lightweight uh shell, so to speak, and it says it, at the rear was a single axle that uh uh was supporting the rear of the uh aero car, and then up front the aero car coupler mounted to the rear of a cooper roadster in a manner, manner similar to the basic design of a fifth wheeler, like I was talking about that we see today, and it says um the coupler was approved in 1933 and they actually sold some of these things that's the thing i've never even heard of this this contraption before and he built a whole plant for it and he basically sold i don't know how many because how many are left right now says during the summer of 1928, two prototype aero cars toured the United eastern United States. Uh, Briggs Manufacturing, Lang Body Company, Mengel Body Company, and Wayman American Body Company all expressed interest in manufacturing the trailer, while Hudson Stutz and Graham Page expressed interest in producing the tow cars. And they have a picture in this article of one really funky-looking tow car. kind of looks like the Buckminster Fuller um, Dynamax uh, towing this super fancy-looking... Um, Uh, aero car trailer and it's just it's oh it's just so unbelievably cool um but basically, this was a, a forerunner to what we would consider to be a basically a luxury fifth-wheel trailer. They were not cheap. They started about uh, $1,985 in 1937. That's equivalent to over $35,000 in today's dollars. And then once you equip it with a kitchen and sleeping for four, the price rose to $2,800, about $45,000 in today's money. So um, they actually had air conditioning as an option. And it's just... Kind of neat. They said virtually all existing aero cars uh, today are personal luxury travel coaches. Don't know how many... still exist, but and how many they were sold. It doesn't really go into production figures. But I would love to see one of these things at a car show or something. It says the most famous trailer was the Curtis AeroCar Model 161 BPC that had a ship's bridge, a raised cockpit over the prow that allowed for a view of the passing scenery for the travelers. And uh, Curtis equipped the bridge similar to instrument, uh, having instrumentation similar to the flight deck of an aircraft, including a compass altimeter barometer and speedometer and uh, like i said the air conditioning was offered uh along with a a along with a tow behind generator to power (laughs) the the air conditioning so it's just kind of a funky oddity i guess you would call it and i just wanted to uh, bring that up because i like history i like quirky things like that did you uh figure out when the indy 500 started running at uh at the brickyard
0: Interesting you say that, Mark. The Fisher era, the AAA sanctioning from 1911 to 1927, the first one being 1911, May 30th, Ray Haroon was the first driver to win that at the Nordic and Marmon Company team car and owner in the car named the Marmon Wasp was the cool. winner of
1: this race. Marmon's were neat cars, too, back in the day. They were really fast. I mean, the ones that, that you could buy as a production vehicle, they were considered to be very um, very quick, very sporty-type vehicles. So, And no no mention there of, of the—what uh, was the Curtis that you were thinking of? Was it later, like in the 30s? Yeah, I think it was uh,
0: Curtis of the K, too. Okay,
1: yeah, because this uh, is— I think,
0: was, I think it was an engine maker. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm just looking here. I'm looking. I'm actually scrolling down now. I'm seeing their engines were Cogsworth and Offenhauser's. Sure. Um, Sparks was an engine name. Maserati, Miller, uh, in the twenties. Duesenberg, in, yep. the, in the middle twenties. Um, Mercedes was there at one time. Peugeot. Um, anyway, so.
1: Cool. Well, it's just uh, thanks for the history lesson there on the uh, Indy 500. Sometimes we get to talk about the get talking about these things. And we're not exactly sure. Like, wow. You know, when did that happen? So <laughs> thanks to Lou for uh, getting us straight there. Uh, we have sanitized all OPI shows for your protection, but you should still be wearing a mask. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by following the CDC guidelines. You'll be saving the world and helping podcasts at the same time. And also be sure to wash your hands. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, We've got another delivery here at the Car Guys Report Warehouse. I think it's that battery uh, that I ordered. So I'm going to take a quick break here, Lou, and we'll be right back. On this week's Minutia Men Celebrity Interview, we interview
0: a comedian four decades in the making. And Rick, get the dump button ready (laughs) because Larry Reeb is a little blue, a little politically incorrect, too. But it's comedy. It's comedy. Listen to Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview
1: on Spotify, OpiShows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Oh! <laughs> 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 on this week's episode of Anne Friends, blah, 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 on this week's episode of Anne Friends, we celebrate Ed Tober. Ed Silla raises children
0: from birth to produce podcast content.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ed Silla, producer of podcast babes. I pray, to Ed, every night that he returns my son who was left for him as an offering.
1: <laughs> Feed him, Ed. Please be feeding him. He is but my lonely son. My debt to you.
0: What do you need with him, Ed? Must he produce
1: additional content?
0: Let my child go This one was just born They will make a sports show for me He's just got like a baby mill. Day one he just pumps content into their ears Yes, learn my child We will soon eclipse all You will take over cereal (laughs) (laughs) That's the funny bell And you should be listening
1: to And Friends on Spotify Or go to opishows.com Or wherever you find podcasts You just gotta search for Radio Misfits And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. Another highly exciting and entertaining episode of the Car Guys Report. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Last time we talked, Lou, we were covering great cars that killed before they could succeed, a list that came out from Road & Track online. And um, we covered the first part. Uh, The reason we like to do these lists is because we always have... um, things that we're going to agree or disagree with on the list, either like, what the heck is that doing on there? That's a great car? Or, you know, why did they forget this great car? And um, actually on this list, I have more, why the heck is that on the list? Uh, And I'll just start right into it. Um, You know, Lou, that I'm a, was and still is a, still are a, a, you know, a Saab enthusiast. But the the latter uh, years of Saab, when they were wholly owned by GM, uh, they really, really diluted the brand, and they basically just kind of became Saab in nameplate only. And on this list, part two, uh, they listing the Saab 94X, which was a midsize crossover. It also was rebadged as the Cadillac SRX. And I just said here, never was a great or even a good vehicle. Garbage. So that's what I'm saying there. There wasn't really a sob at all to begin with either. It was just, uh, you know, another GM corporate design, and they decide, oh, well, let's, you know, put some fancy leather seats in it and call it a sob. So that's just a, a piece of crap as far as I'm concerned. So that should not be on the list. But uh, one that definitely belongs on the list, and a car that was killed way before, it, right as it could have succeeded, was the Pontiac Fiero. Uh, If you recall, Lou, the first ones uh, had that mid engine uh, four cylinder. I believe it was the Iron Duke four cylinder in there. They were plagued by uh, engine fires and a few other things. But the final, like five years uh, after the the Fier was first introduced, they put the V6 in there. They put that fastback um, sail panel body on it. And it was, you know, they sorted it out. And it became a good-looking car, and it was a fast car, it was a a good handling car, and it, you know, wasn't catching on fire anymore or things like that. So I I really think the Fiero, um, I was sad to see that go, because I think the final iteration of that vehicle was something to uh, actually, uh, you know, behold. And I remember in my uh, track days um, that uh, there were some people that had a couple of, Fiero set up for autocrossing, and they did real well. They they looked cool. They were lowered, and and this is like thirty years ago. So I'm, I imagine that people that still have a Fiero, uh, if you're going to track it, I'm sure the you know the availability of certain technology as far as uh, adjustable sway bars and things like that could even make them better than they were back then. But have you had experience? Because you know I've never ridden in a Fiero. I'm sure you've got some on your um, on your YouTube channel. Yes, I, would. I
0: do. And I have driven a Fiero, and um, no, they were. I think the biggest surprise to the to the Fiero when you sat in it was the level of comfort. Because, really? Yeah, you would think that you know. Well, I do How big could the car be? It doesn't look all that big. But yeah. Remember, when the engine's behind you, that whole front end is leg room. Yeah. So, uh, and they didn't have huge uh, you know, luggage areas in the front. Yeah. So it was a lot of leg room. There felt like a lot of room in the car. And that was one of those big mysteries is, you know, how does it feel this comfortable when yet you're you're somewhat feeling, at least at that time frame, go kart like yeah. it is so <laughs> low to the ground. Sure. But no, it was it was pretty comfortable to, to, to ride in and drive and you know, the engine's behind you, so you do hear the noise, you know, relatively easily, and it's not a, you know, it's not a big roaring all, sound. Yeah,
1: <laughs> all four cylinders of that Iron Duke gasping for air.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, they, well, here's the challenge with that car. They really got it right in 88, yeah. and then that hit. And it was yeah. like, you finally figured it out, Exactly, and you killed it. So,
1: And as we've um, talked here on the program before, GM has a habit of doing that <laughs> all the time. Unfortunately. So,
0: yeah they had a GT which which had the, the six cylinder and, and um, it, was, it had it was the great.
1: yeah they had the better body style the the you know they put the fastback, back um, you know sail panel things or whatever you want to call them you know sloping into the rear deck and it just it was a neat looking car
0: yeah I agree
1: here's another car that kind of polarizes a lot of people some people think they're great I know that I watched the uh, show on history channel called American pickers and I know They've had him on that that program, and Mike uh, Wolf bought one. Uh, I don't know, like a year and a half ago or whatever. He's just going gaga over it. What I'm talking about is the DeLorean DMC-12. I've never been a big DeLorean fan. Um, I know people still go crazy about them, partly because of you know Back to the Future and and that, but. Again, that's a car that I have no direct experience in. All I know is that 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 Peugeot, Renault, Volvo, PRV, V6 engine they had in there wasn't necessarily a bad engine, but it was just incredibly underpowered in that application. And I just think that car was kind of gimmicky from the standpoint that, I mean, they put gullwing doors on it, so, ooh, cool, it's neat. But then it had just this little, like, mail slot of a window that would open up um, in the door for you to get fresh air or, or try to get a burrito from taco bell or something um i think the strongest part of the, the delorean was the stainless steel body i think that was was fairly groundbreaking and it was neat that they actually were producing something like that in 1980 or 81 when they first came out um of course there's other reasons why the delorean got killed not just because it, it didn't succeed right away all the stuff with john delorean and the, and, and everything but again have you had any experience with the DeLorean? Have you ever sat in one or ridden in one as as you had with the Fiero?
0: I, I've sat in one. We've done a review of one. Yeah. Uh, I think two of them on the channel. I'm just going to double check. I mean, I mean, I absolutely know I've done, uh, I believe, two. So I'm just punching in DeLorean.
1: And they still retain their popularity because I know there was somebody, I think it was down in Texas last few years, supposedly bought all the The tooling and all the like spare parts that were still left over like 30 years later and was going to try to do like a continuation series on that and I don't know whatever happened with that I never heard anything um, if they actually got off the ground doing that so if you know send us an email at carguysreport at hotmail.com just curious to see what happened with uh, any uh, DeLorean uh, continuations and you know every now and then too like at a car show you might see a DeLorean that's actually painted a color and I don't know how they do that it's not a wrap they could wrap them now in any color, but I remember, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago seeing them it almost like a, it almost looks like a candy apple color. Cause I don't know if it was like more of a, a clear, clear coat with tinted that they were putting on over the stainless steel. I'm not sure how they did that, but they actually look kind of cool in other colors. I remember seeing a red one that looked pretty neat and I think I've seen gold maybe. Um, but, um, obviously the, the stock was, you know, the stainless steel.
0: Yeah. I'm, um. Uh I don't know why I'm drawing a blank here on the channel, trying to find it.
1: Well, it's because Lou, you have too many cars on your on your YouTube channel. I mean, come that's, on, you have too many videos to sort through. That's a good problem. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's a nice problem to have. So,
0: I mean, uh but but I agree with you. I thought it was eighty-two.
1: Yeah, eighty, that's eighty-one, eighty-two, something like that. And
0: there we go. It is an eighty-one. So I didn't go back far enough. Okay. Uh, and I wasn't able to spell Delorean correctly.
1: <laughs>
0: I can spell it now: D E L O R E A N. Correct. And uh, uh, that said, yeah, I have two of them on the channel um, that are there. Uh, but back to your back to your point, of, um, I always thought the strength of the car was clearly the looks. Yeah, it was and, practicality,
1: and, and it was, not really so much performance, no. not really that much.
0: You know the, the back story on that there's a i think there's a bio there's a biography i watched on this is that you know john delorean was trying to get money for his company yeah and, and the reason why was they were lacking in some quality uh he's basically keeping a small part of a country you know yeah they
1: were profitable. built in ireland right
0: yeah but, so he was keeping them profitable so he was somewhat hailed as a hero and he was trying to get money for his company and yeah. what he ended up doing was uh uh, making some uh, uh, people think that there was some drug deal, but yep. I guess it was just it was laundering the drugs to move them to another location and just trying to make the profit off of it without doing any of the drugs. But yet uh, that's still kind of a problem in most countries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that uh,
1: that killed the brand, but... Uh, and the the, the the sad thing, too, is, you know, I was kind of respected, uh, had a lot of respect for DeLorean because he was the guy that basically started the, the muscle car, the pony car with the GTO, and he was always a rebel. He, had, he dated models, and he always had long hair, and he was, you know, dressed in mod clothes and stuff, and he kind of died, really, in obscurity. He died, I think it was like 10 years ago, and he basically died in obscurity. He just, no one really... Heard much about him. He was kind of basically alone. I think he was living in like some, some not really very nice apartment. I think it was in I want to say Detroit, but I don't know if that's that's accurate or not. But it's kind of a shame because you know he was basically a, a visionary for many years, and I think the automotive uh, landscape, including the Delorean, but all the stuff that he did at GM and Pontiac, especially, I think we're better off for it nowadays. So. I still have a lot of respect for the for the guy, and um, I should learn a little bit more about him. I've read some books on GM history, things like that, but I know there was, you said you saw a biography on him. There was a movie or something, like, we talked about it on one of our early episodes of the Car Guys Report like a year ago, um, that uh, there was a movie, I can't remember who was in it, one of the Baldwins, I think, was in it.
0: Yeah, he passed away in 2005. And he oh, was buried, wow. Buried, buried in Troy, Michigan. Okay
1: wow see it's 15 years ago already that's amazing
0: yeah so um you know was married to uh uh uh, uh, uh christina uh, ferrari is yeah here and uh, had a couple of kids but um yeah no i mean you know I'm, you know it's hard not to like car guys right i mean that's uh
1: well, especially somebody that was, you know, when you look back on it, he was very influential in, in a lot of the stuff that still is around today. I mean, you can't look at any history of, of cars and, and and dismiss the GTO. I mean, it was just, you know, unbelievably groundbreaking at the time what he did. So you got to respect a guy like that. But. Let's continue on. Don't want to get too bogged down on some of these uh, little side excursions that we do, but they're always fun as well. We're talking about great cars that were killed before they could succeed, at least according to what road and track thought, and we're kind of adding our our two cents in. The Honda Insight, remember that goofy little thing? Came out, I think, around 2000. Uh, I wrote down as a futuristic-looking thing, three-cylinder engine, just a funky little thing. It almost looks like a almost looked like a toy car or something. It didn't really look like something that would be um, uh, street legal. But um, they've made—that was the first generation. They made a couple successive generations. The first one, I I think it was just too weird-looking and and underpowered with the three-cylinder, and that's why Honda pulled the plug on that. Um, Again, here's a car that I don't know if it really got killed because of its merits or demerits, but because of the way the company was run. We're talking about the Tucker. Because again, the Tucker was another one of these guys like DeLorean that started a company, didn't have enough money, had a great product, especially in the in the um, in the um, with the Tucker. The Tucker had a was a incredibly groundbreaking car back in 1948, and arguably way ahead of its time. But it didn't succeed just because there was no money. If there would have been money behind that, I think. W- things would have been different, because it was a neat car, and you know, a lot of people thought that, you know, Tucker was just kind of doing like a, you know, a, not a pyramid scheme, but just kind of a bait-and-switch thing, and he wasn't really had any intention of building the cars, but he did, and he just didn't have enough money. He cranked out, what, 50 of them, I think, was about the total of Tucker's? Um, I think there were 51.
0: 51.
1: And,
0: and then the, uh, and each one of them is like Highly accounted for. I think one yeah. of them was even like Shell or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and as I understand it, the other car companies felt his presence mm-hmm. and, and put roadblocks in front of him so he couldn't succeed. I mean, so it was uh, um, we're big, you're small, and uh, we're going to crush you. So, yeah. as, as I as I understand,
1: yeah, I've read i read a book on him, and of course, the the movie came out like thirty years ago with Jeff Bridges. Uh, and I don't know how much that was, because I, I, I haven't seen that recently. I don't know how much of that was adapted for Hollywood or not. But, um, but it's basically, yeah, not enough money. And did the other car companies really pressure and find ways to kind of hold them down? Who knows? But um, and I, I, I want to ask this question, too, since you're, you're looking on, on your channel. Have you done a Tucker before on, on My Car Story?
0: Well, thanks for asking, Mark. I've actually done Mr. Tucker's Tucker.
1: Wow. There you go. See, ladies and gentlemen, Lou is the guy with the video camera. He just pops up anywhere, even in a Tucker.
0: Yeah, uh, Preston Tucker's Tucker is on the channel. I was in in California, and uh, the Peterson Museum uh, has it, and they were at a car show with it, and uh, they were kind enough where I said, uh, I don't know, I probably begged, but... but, uh, (laughs) But they they let me get off the ground and stop crying. And yes, 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 we'll let you know. None of that. They were extremely kind. And I got to the show very early and they were setting the cars up. And I said, uh, Great Tucker. And they said, Well, it's
1: also Mr. Preston Tucker's Tucker. Oh, really? Wow.
0: So um, and that that's that's a tribute to the to the Peterson Museum out in California. So
1: Boy, if that interior could talk. <laughs> what yeah. would we learn? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Neat. That's very cool. Yeah. I have just always been fascinated they had that uh, six cylinder um aircraft uh helicopter engine in the back air cooled uh, I think it was like designed so there's like four bolts that you could undo to drop the, the, the thing for service. And his idea was you could, if your engine needed to repair, you drop it out and just put a, re- you know, a replacement in while yours is getting repaired. Had the turning, uh, the headlight they would turn with the steering wheel. It had this uh, kind of like step-down interior with padding on the dashboard and stuff. That sounds funny now, but it was revolutionary back then. And super roomy inside. And just, uh, you know, a car that was way ahead of its time. So um, that's cool. That's very cool. We got three more on the list. And basically, I agree with all these that these cars are definitely killed before um they had a chance to succeed the pontiac g8 another uh, rebadged australian product and thanks so much to our fans in australia that have uh, continued to embrace our car guys report podcast certainly appreciate having you guys along for the ride I'm always happy to talk about holden based cars the pontiac g8 was it was a very cool car um that one just didn't have a chance to succeed mainly because pontiac Went out of business. Uh, GM pulled the plug on the entire division. The Porsche 9146. Now that's a very neat car. Super cool is what I wrote down as my comments. Of course the 914 was introduced in 1970. The 9146 was, I think it was only one year in 1970. They put the 6-cylinder in there, limited production, and if they would have kept the 6-cylinder going in some way, shape, or form in the 914, that would have been Really, something, and I think it's just because it was. I don't know exactly the, the, the reason why they they stopped making the six. I think it was too expensive, and I think the nine fourteen was a way to have a more affordable Porsche because they basically had the Volkswagen engine, four cylinder in there. But whenever I see a nine fourteen at a car show, the first thing I do is walk around to the back to see if it has that six on the on the engine lid because I want to or on the trunk lid because I want to see if it's a nine fourteen six or not. And then uh, two more cars that were cousins, the Saturn Sky and the Pontiac Solstice. Now, those were two-door coupes, uh, convertibles that uh, were produced for a limited amount of time. The Sky was much more angular than the Solstice, which was much more rounded, but both good-looking cars, and they actually got some traction in the collector car market because they didn't make a whole bunch of them. And if you can find one, the one to get is the Solstice GXP Coupe. Now, that actually had a fixed roof on it, not a convertible, and a really neat fastback design. They only made a... Literally, like, a handful of those cars, and that's really the one to get. That whole Pontiac Solstice thing was a Bob Lutz um, uh, pet project, and that's one reason why the car basically came to fruition and obviously was not a moneymaker for them, so that's why GM pulled the plug. But any any... It, any of the the variations, the the standard Pontiac Solstice, it has kind of that bullnose front with that funky grill. The Saturn Sky is a good looking car, like it's a little more angular. And then that Solstice GXP Coupe is uh, really the one. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, Lou. Do you have a GXP Coupe on your on your channel?
0: No GXP Coupe. Um, yeah, those are those are pretty uh, unique to find, and uh, not yet.
1: Okay. But I would assume you have a, some sort of... Do you have a solstice or a sky? I
0: don't have a sky or a solstice. Really? Really?
1: Yep. really? Wow. That surprises me because, you know, they're they're not exactly ubiquitous, but when you're the car guy like you are, I think you'd be, like, pulling people over next time you see them on, on the roads with your camera, so...
0: <laughs> Let's well, hope
1: you can that, get one on the channel, right?
0: Yeah, that, that has definitely happened. I mean, I've, I've definitely jumped out of the car at times and had to introduce myself and have, you know, a 10-second elevator pitch to catch their attention. Um, you know, the the Sky, the Honda S2000, mm-hmm. um, it seems like you just see those cars driving by it. They don't tend to be loved at a car show, so a lot of people don't tend to take them to car shows. Yeah. Uh, You know, so it's not like your 58 Impala that's classic and everybody wants to see it. Uh, And the the Solstice and the sky, although attractive, you know, really don't have um, a great place to land. No, especially the
1: sky. I mean, that's a car that I bet, you know, nine out of ten people wouldn't even know that Saturn made that car. And then they they don't even know what Saturn is anymore because Saturn has been gone now for ten years or whatever it's been.
0: Right. And it's a great looking car. It is, yeah. I mean, it, it, and pausing for a second, I mean, if, if I was at a car show or at somebody's, you know, house by chance and they had one, um, you know, I'd be interested in doing it just because to your point, it's it's fun to have something different and unique on the channel and just hear the perspective of it. Uh, I'll give you a perspective car uh, uh, without going too far into it, but the Cadillac uh, uh, ST, uh, what is it called? Give me just a second, is it that? Basically, it's the uh, they built it at the
1: Corvette location, I'm trying to take it was Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, SL, I'm gonna say SLX. I'm gonna,
0: I'm, I'm gonna have it in just a
1: second. Yeah, it's basically it's it's basically a Cadillac that is basically underpinned with a lot of Corvette technology. It's got balsa wood in the floors. I know that.
0: The
1: XLR XLR. That's it. Yeah.
0: And it's not just the XLR, but then there was an XLRV. And yeah. the V would be like the Camaro having the Z28 mm-hmm. edition, which had the supercharged Northstar V8 engine in it and 443 horsepower and yeah. two-door satellite yeah. convertible.
1: with balsa wood floors.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. So so the uh, the point that I'm saying is that was built in the same place as the uh, as the Corvettes are built. So up it was right
1: built now. in Bowling Green, Bowling? really?
0: Yeah, Bowling wow. Green, Kentucky. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, and, and a lot of them are, are uh, I believe, fiberglass, too. The V is... Um, not just Vernon, but the V for <laughs> this car is uh, that it would have a silver grill to it rather than a plastic grill.
1: And here's a here's a uh, a point to, to to mention too that if you're seriously if you're listening and you're and you're considering that car, buy it now because they're still affordable, and that's a car that. It hasn't gotten a lot of play yet, but I think in the future it, it's going to have a lot of lot of collectible value to it, and they're still affordable. So I would say if you find one, go for it. And they're all going to be in like mint condition because nobody bought one of those and put a hundred thousand miles on it, right? So
0: it, it was yeah, it was an expensive car to begin with. Yeah, and clearly when you walked into a Cadillac dealer, you couldn't help but look at it because everything looked like kind of older and stodgy, and then you had this. Very, uh, you know, piece of cheese wedge type Cadillac uh, that was on the showroom floor. And you got to remember, this is 2006, yeah. too. So uh, that was in the middle of the stodgy Cadillac version. So for them to come out with something that was, you know, really powerful, I mean, now they put out quite a few powerful vehicles, uh, you know, that are almost uh, rocket like four doors. Uh, that'll blow your mind with like 650 horse, et cetera, and drives itself and, you know, et cetera. But uh, back back in that time frame, there were uh, there were a few options that were that cool.
1: Yeah. And they had the I, I know we talked about this on a previous episode because you said you had a friend that that had one um, or acquaintance or somebody that you knew that had one that had the retractable hard top on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. it, which it, is it, another plus because it makes it more of an all-weather car then too, at least a three-season car uh with that retractable hard top, which makes it a lot easier than than having a convertible and, and you having to have the convertible up, but you're you're risking wear and tear on the top or having to maneuver a separate hard top and clip it into shape and that that's the beauty of those retractable hard tops is that you get the best of really the best of both worlds.
0: Right absolutely. It's uh, uh, not on the channel yet, hmm. but probably by the time that this airs, it'll be very close to being up on the channel.
1: Great. Good. Good. We're looking forward to that. We were just talking about the Cadillac XLR, a future collectible that kind of came out as far as great cars that were killed before they could succeed, and I think that could actually be one of them that, that wasn't on the list and definitely would, would fit in. So that's why we like doing the list here that uh, we give you on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, because we always have things to point counterpoint about uh different uh cars that people think do or don't belong on lists be sure to tell a friend to listen to the car guys report we're available on spotify opishows.com and coming soon to Amazon Audible also wherever you find co- podcasts just uh, search for Radio Misfits uh, a lot of the places you can find us Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts TuneIn Android Stitcher Blueberry iHeartRadio. I tell you, we're everywhere and when you're listening to our podcast please subscribe you'll get an automatic push notification whenever there's new uh, content which is weekly on Tuesdays so you have your whole week to uh, listen to our new programs and Please give us uh, some of your thoughts, too. We'd like to get... a couple more five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, that would be uh, just dandy. And uh, just one thing to keep in mind, whenever you're listening to any podcast from the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, it's free and it's listening on your own terms, whether you're listening on your laptop, your desktop, your tablet, your phone, in your car with Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, whatever you're listening to, wherever you're listening, in the park, the office, your bedroom Wherever you are, whenever you want to listen, that's what podcasting is all about. You can fast-forward, rewind, replay, do whatever you want. That's the beauty of podcasting with the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And this is the beauty of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. And Lou, we're at the point of the program where I was looking forward to it today. I mean, I do all the time, but... I was thinking, what is Lou going to throw out at me today? We're going to talk about the Car Guys Report guessing game. Of course, Lou has a popular YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou, and we play the Car Guys Report guessing game whenever Lou is on the program, which is 95% of the time. We've got to give him a little time off here and there. But uh, Lou, tell us about how the game works, because we know there's new listeners and they want to know.
0: So if this is your first episode on the Car Guys Report, I have a channel on YouTube called My Car Story with Lou. It has over 1,500 different cars uh, on it. I think you'd really enjoy yourself taking a look at some of the cars and the stories that the caretakers themselves tell us about the cars. So the guessing game is that I take a time frame. Usually uh, in a week, I'll post three cars, usually a Tuesday uh, a Thursday and a Saturday or a Tuesday and a Saturday based on the week. But the short story is three cars that were posted in around the same time period. I give it a little time to percolate and then we come back and guess which car has the most views of the three I'm going to give you. And I usually give the cars out by the oldest first in the sequence. So here's the three that we have today uh, in the oldest sequence first And again you could video the exact same car on your youtube channel and it would have different view results so we're just talking about my channel um and here we go so the first one is a 1958 scarab tribute in blue with a v8 engine sound and ride
1: okay which i and right. i've seen i've seen a scarab tribute before not the blue one i'm not a blue one i think i saw the one in red but i know which car you're talking about
0: So it's a a 1958 Scarab race car tribute in blue. And the reason why it's a tribute is because, well, there were actually only like something like 25 or 19 that were made.
1: And a bunch probably uh, crashed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, most of those that you would see are tributes. The next one in order is a 1960 Chevrolet El Camino in blue and engine sound and ride. So a 1960 Chevrolet El Camino in blue. Engine sound and ride. And the last one, or the oldest one in this sequence, is a 1971 Plymouth Roadrunner um, four speed in blue. So they're (laughs) all in blue. Wow. And a a 340 engine sound. So we've Mm. got a 340 Plymouth Roadrunner, 1971, a 1960 El Camino, and a Scarab. All three of these cars are in the color blue. So which one? do you think has come in first place, Mark, or do you have more questions?
1: No, I, I think I have it. I, and Lou's all about blue, ladies and gentlemen. He likes that color blue. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the, the classic El Camino from 1960 as number one, because you just don't see those cars, and when you do, they're really cool. Uh, I'm going to go with the Scarab number 2 and then the Roadrunner as number 3. Let's see if I crashed well, you, and burned you, or you,
0: you you picked number 1 correctly. I did. So Good. Yourself. Yeah, if you put $2 down on that horse, you would have won your money back Good. plus. Good. So that one had 10,700 uh, 407 views. 10,407 views. That was number 1. Number 2 was actually the Plymouth Roadrunner with the 4 speed with huh. 6400 views. Okay. And in last place was 1,859 views of huh. the Scarab. So, yeah, it was uh, uh, hard to believe that uh, uh, the Scarab would actually turn in as number three because it is such a cool-looking car. It is, yeah. But uh, but uh, that's the way the... Uh, I think
1: maybe because it was a replica or recreation or whatever you want to call it, an homage, um, and maybe just because people just don't know what a Scarab is. So you even know, though it I, looks really neat they just don't understand what it is and they just think oh it's like a kit car or something
0: yeah i mean it, it could look like that so you know i'm not sure why i mean well you know over time it'll you know it is what it is and to your point you you hit the number one on the head i mean if you went to the plate today and you're you hit one out of the park and you want one for three which is the one you did you hit the number one out of the park so you can feel pretty good about those
1: guessing, today, guessing games. Today. And just as an offhand, did that um, El Camino, did it happen to have uh, McGregor Mags on it? Didn't it have
0: McGregor oh, Mags okay. on it? It, was, it?
1: was a Resto mod. Because I saw a blue. Uh, I, honestly, I just uh, like a week ago, I saw a blue El Camino driving on the road when I was out and about, and I'm pretty sure it had McGregor Mags on it, though, but it was kind of a, a, a darker medium blue.
0: Well, this one is a, a, a medium blue yeah. or a, or a lighter blue, and but this one has the dog dishes on it.
1: Okay, Yeah uh, It was in uh, motion, so I couldn't really tell. But
0: yeah, this one had a modified engine, so it has a mo- you know a modified yeah. uh, engine for easier startability. I sure. guess you call it. Yeah. And uh, you know probably all of the proper disc braking and things like that, so it could actually stop. But uh, uh, yeah, it was a really. Uh, uh, and an interesting story, might I add too. I mean, when you look at what the guy started with, it was literally a, a, I wouldn't even call it a frame. I'd call it almost a shell.
1: Really? Wow. And,
0: and, the, and the fact that you can create an entire car out of something like this, I mean, it would be like having a milk carton and, and you turned it into a car. I mean, it's just huh. unbelievable what wow. some people can do. Yeah, it's yeah that's
1: cool. good. Yeah, you got to hand it to those people. And it, just in case you're not familiar with Lou, Lou's YouTube channel, it's called My Car Story with Lou, uh, over 1,500 videos, car videos online, as well as uh, 80 5,000 or so subscribers, a very popular channel, and if you want to just uh, enjoy very cool cars, uh, that's the place to go. My Car Story with Lou, and we played the Car Guys Report guessing game on every episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, it's the ultimate restoration engine block for your Jaguar, and they shipped Vegas. How? You'll be amazed when you find out. That and much more coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opie is hippo, spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, and that would be Radiomisfits.com. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19.
0: The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. co Cougars. A boy that only eats sausage. Kids getting Corona on purpose. And my
1: brush with Don Rickles. All that and unlimited tangents on Minutia Men. Listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, OpieShows.com, or wherever you find podcasts.
0: Just search for Radio Misfits. Hey, it's Tony Losano from Losano Friends, and Evie
1: Olson has this to tell you. <laughs> um, Great Talk Radio isn't dead <laughs> It just learned how to speak a different I'm sorry, language just Great Talk Radio isn't dead It just uh, moved to a bad place Don't use any of this <laughs> like, Lasano and friends Can you please just delete all of this <laughs> Radiomisfits.com no! Yeah right there Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report and Formed Automotive, you won't believe how Chevy shipped their Vegas on the train. Plus, we take a look at some great American station wagons. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lozano podcast and OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.